Welcome back to the Brew Theology Podcast. Tonight, Janelle and I are with Rob and Brian. Brian wrote the content tonight, so you're going to be hearing a lot from him. We're going to dialogue about what is religion in the 21st century, where do we go from here, starting off with everything from animism to the Industrial Revolution to World War II, and then this last election cycle, so it should be fun. We do have conversational guidelines that keep us on point. One is no soapboxes allowed. Nobody gets the last word. And basically just, yeah. At the end of the night, if you want if you want a, a podcast where there is, here's the nice bow at the end. Maybe you should go to, I don't know, there's probably a podcast out there for you that's religious, and I could probably find it for you. But you know that's not why we're here, because we brew theology across the spectrum. And number two is respect all others and their viewpoints. Number three, extend courtesy by listening well. And number four, everything is up for discussion. Hashtag for all of this, don't be a jerk. Or whatever word you want to put in there. Mm-hmm. We have a few announcements coming up. By the time you're listening to this, one, hopefully, uh, hopefully, my second daughter will be potty trained. And Brian may even have another kid at that point by the time you're listening to this. It's possible. Yeah. Because we're like a, I think we're, what, a couple months behind? There's like a lot of podcasts that haven't even published yet. Yeah, we're getting caught up. Okay, yeah, so like maybe in a month or two. So that that's not the really important announcement. The the more important announcement is this. Well, we're personal. Altruist, New Jersey, Central Jersey, I should really clarify because it's in Montclair, is coming up where you're going to have faith leaders across the religious spectrum coming together, brewing up some zesty content. And I think they have a rabbi, they have a Christian minister, and they have um, an imam, right? Is that, I, I think, yeah. So that I, I just mentioned three or four, there, a Buddhist. There's also a Buddhist as well. So four, four religions. Sounds like the beginning of a joke. Yeah. <laughs> well, I will say, Jersey. I mean, I, I really want to go. Some point, you'll get to us, and you'll have six. Or did we have five? We had six. We had six. Yeah. Sikhism and Hinduism. Those are the other two. But I think uh, this is actually what we started this in May here in Denver. And I think that if you want to do one in your neck of the woods, wherever that may be, whether you are in Florida, we have a chapter in Florida, or you're up in the northeast outside of central, there's one in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. Yeah, we've got 11 chapters, so yeah. do altruist. It's fun. All the proceeds go towards charities, and you drink craft beer all day long. What could, what could be better? Nothing. Another announcement is a green altruist. Sometime this fall in Denver. <laughs> this might move to the winter, but it's going to happen. <laughs> it is going to happen. So uh, we'll be a, at a location here in Denver talking about green topics, um, bringing Tad DeLay to the microphone with his new book. and um, Against. Against. That's the title, Against. And talking about this climate crisis and what can we do about it and how does it impact our theology. So. All right, you can find us on the web, brewtheology.org, at brewtheology on Facebook and Instagram, brew underscore theology on Twitter. And we also have a Facebook group, which is different from a page. So join that group, and then you can interact and ask questions And as long as you're not a jerk. Right. That's it. All right, so real quickly, small, short introductions. You guys know my story. If you haven't listened before... I'll spare you on this. I grew up Southern Baptist, and I'm no longer that. 
but I do enjoy interfaith dialogue and good beer. Wow, that was short. That was very short. <laughs> Whoa. That's why I said. You all need to like rewind and record that and mark it down in your day planner. Cause shortest intro shortest ever. Well intro done. You really streamlined that. Wow. Well, I'm Janelle, born and raised in the Church of the Nazarene. I'm now a progressive Christian, um, and I like beer too, as long as my doctor lets me keep drinking it. Also short. My name's Rob. I grew. Up, I was born and raised in the Catholic Church. Um, now I'm a big C. Yeah, right. Exactly. Now I'm a um, wow. I'll claim Catholicism, but oh, it's complicated. And uh, a I'll complicated claim, Catholic. <laughs> sure. I You're don't so know. original, Rob. Yeah. Right. I don't know what. I, I don't know what I am. I like uh, participating in this community and in interfaith dialogue, uh, and. Uh, I'm super excited because tonight I'm drinking a Blood Orange Gosa from 105 West Brewery in where Castle Rock, Colorado. So uh, it's pretty tasty. I did, I did not know the suburbs could make such great beer. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty good stuff. This. I joke. I joke. <laughs> That's me. <laughs> well, I'm Brian. I also grew up Catholic. Um, I no longer consider myself Catholic, though I do love Catholic liberation theology, which came out of Latin America, especially in the 70s and the 80s. we got to do a topic on hey, John Pope Sabrino. Hey, Pope Francis. Hey, Pope Francis. <laughs> yeah, Pope Francis also was a liberation theologist, a more of an Oscar Romero liberation theologist. But um, I grew up in Wheaton, Illinois, so I kind of, you know, in my college years went evolved into a little bit of non-denominational but being kind of a progressive universalist Christian, never really found a, a church home. Uh, I don't really consider myself a Christian anymore. Um, I do kind of have some really into daily Buddhist and Stoic practices that I really uh, appreciate now that help me as, as an individual. All right. I think some good mindfulness is probably good for the world right now, especially that Western world. Cheers. Yeah. So set your alarms for an extra 30 minutes at least to get out of bed, do some meditation, people. America needs it. So we're going to talk about religion moving forward, but before we do that, we had to figure out where we've been. I think that's important. So Brian, you do a really good job in this content by starting with how we think about religion typically and then to kind of how that's evolved throughout the years, well, thousands of years. So if you could, because you're a history buff, you could probably do a Cliff's Notes version of your Cliff's Notes in about five minutes or so to the listeners. So, yeah, if you could do that and then tell us why this is important to you, and then we'll just dive into the questions. That'd be great. Sure. Well, I think I, I originally got into this topic in 2016 with the Brexit and the Trump elections that just kind of threw everybody, confused the hell out of everybody. What is going on here? You know, how does how does Brexit win in, in the UK? How does Trump win in the United States? So I started doing more and more reading and research, and I came upon a historian, Yuval Noah Harari, and his books are phenomenal. His, his first book that he read, he wrote was, was Sapiens. Now, Harari sees the entire 20th century as, as really a, a century of religious war, of a humanist 20th century, humanism being the dominant religion in the world, and the war being between the three factions of humanism. Liberal humanism, which is capitalism and democracy. Uh, socialist humanism, which um, is kind of focused on the collective. And then evolutionary humanism, or fascism as we call it. 
World War II, in, in most people's minds, eliminated fascism. The Cold War, ending in the early 1990s, in most people's minds, eliminated communism. And the whole world ran to liberal democracy, or so it seemed. We won, right? <laughs> liberal democracy was here to stay, and it won. But now we see in 2016 that liberal democracy is, is under harsh attack. On, on a lot of angles. You see the election in Brazil, the United States, uh, Brexit. You see Putin trying to be more and more forceful all around the world. You see proxy wars all around the world. And, and liberalism, the core tenets of liberalism are failing all around the world, including and especially democratic elections. But there's nothing to replace liberalism now. If liberalism goes down, there's nothing there. You know, humanism seems to be dying. And so we see some reactions to socialism. We see some reactions, uh, certainly, to, back to evolutionary humanism with fascism. But the question is, where do we go from here? You know, as we go forward, where do we go in the 20th century politically, religiously, um, socially? And it seems to be a massive, massive question mark right now. Why does he call it evolutionary uh, uh, fascism? fascism? What, what is that? Well, fascists saw themselves as taking evolution itself and perfecting evolution. Oh, okay. They saw a lot of imperfect yep. people that were in the world that they thought, well, if we just let nature take its course, these people should not exist. So we're going to help nature yeah. out. So they were, they were kind of eugenics thinking, and absolutely, all that stuff. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So that's why he calls it evolutionary. So would he argue that in the 20th century, when uh, all these different levels of humanism were emerging, and then some were obviously overpowering others, and the one that won, that which we're going to talk about because that's our context in America, is this liberal democratic capitalistic system with the God, I don't know if that's a capital God or a small God or a money God or a Jesus is my mascot God, but does he, does he say that any religion or God has has died away? Is he a God is dead guy? Or is he a religion has been married to these humanistic movements? Or it's something they need each other to Yeah, reli traditional religions that we have, he would say, I think, he would say, have sort of evolved to accommodate humanism. You know, humanism is nothing more than a prioritizing of humans over the divine and, and dogma. And so he would he would see a lot of the traditional religions as sort of evolving to accommodate humanism. And, and certainly, if you look at Christianity in the 20th century, it's very different than Christianity, say, pre-Industrial Revolution, pre-Enlightenment, pre-Renaissance. Okay. We have some lovely background noise music. It's music. I didn't know we had cicadas out here. Yeah. I don't know if people can hear them right now. I think, I think they're lovely. Although when you're trying to focus, sometimes you just got to tune them out. <laughs> <laughs> okay your first question is the bold question it is it is about what is truly a way forward for humanity as we see liberalism dying in these movements so do we I guess that's a pretty general question for all of us and then I'm sure we'll go into some rabbit trail holes right now but do y'all agree by the way with the with this guy's premise not Brian's, by the way. He's taking it from somebody else. So don't be don't be offended if people don't agree. It's an interesting. I mean, it's an interesting writing and an interesting premise for this question. And 
there's a lot of history involved here, right? So it's not, he's also not just uh, crafting this information out of thin air. And one of the things that came up last week, you know, Brian just at the end of his description there was talking about the Industrial Revolution, religion pre-Industrial Revolution and post-Industrial Revolution. Also religion, so you've got an Industrial Revolution that allows people for the first time maybe and jump in here history people if i'm screwing this up but to you you didn't have to necessarily own gobs and gobs of land for the first time to to be wealthy and you you know the economy changed uh completely right uh you know when we had the industrial revolution where we could really mass produce more and more goods and then Post-World War II, you've got this, like, in the West, you know, elation of defeating defeating fascism. Uh, it seems like we have a similar transition now with, you know, the way that global information travels, right? So maybe almost as dramatic as an industrial revolution, the, the way that we communicate across the, the globe right now uh, has really been incredible, and we we're really not sure how to how to uh, manage it. Like we we barely know the capabilities of the internet, right? And I don't I don't mean to be old man yelling at clouds right now from The Simpsons, but uh, but we don't we're just barely understanding how global information works when it travels this quickly. We're barely understanding how how invaded our privacy is. With as much that we, you know, as much as we do online right now with computers in our pocket. And by the way, computers in our pocket and being able to have everything at our fingertips is what? Maybe 12 years old? When, when did the iPhone come out? 2007? Which would have been maybe the, big, the first big push to have everything at your fingertips in your pocket. When you're sitting on a bus or standing in a line at the grocery store, you've got, you've got your phone. You know, I kind of think it's hilarious that now occasionally I'll find myself at the supermarket and decide I'm not going to look at my phone. And this will be weird because it kind of is weird now to just stand there and look around the store. Um, it's not weird to do that, but it it feels uh, different than it would have 12 years ago. So um, I feel like I'm uh, jumping on a soapbox and kind of going off into left field. I guess the point being... It feels like we're on the uh, we're on the dawn of or the crest of or whatever stage of you know a new transition that is that dramatic and we're not really quite sure what to do with it. Uh, you know the latest conversation I'm engaged with is with parents who are like, when am I gonna give my kid a cell phone? you know and when are they gonna have everything in the world available in their pocket? Um, so it just feels like that dramatic of a moment. And, you know, I'm not sure I'm uh, answering the question because obviously that's part of the conversation tonight. But it does feel like people care about the conversation. Um, and and it's interesting to, to discuss where religion falls, you know, falls in that conversation about sort of what the, some of the certainties of our future world are right now. I think you're right. We we are at a, a sort of an unprecedented moment in history, a, a sort of a turning point. And I think that's one of his points is with 
a couple of the biggest things we're dealing with, namely climate change. And another one that he gets into is automation. Do liberalism, socialism, fascism, do they offer solutions to the biggest problems we're facing? And his answer would be, I I don't know. He certainly doesn't think traditional religions do offer any solution to those. But he's saying, you know, do these humanistic movements offer any solutions to the problem there? And another point that I think you made really well was before the Industrial Revolution, if you were rich, you had land. When the Industrial Revolution came around, you owned factories, resources, money, right? And now, for the first time ever, last year was the first time in many, many years that oil was not the most valuable resource on the planet. What was the most valuable resource last year? Data. The companies that own your data, that the wealth that is within owning that information is worth much more than oil is now. And so that's, that's new. That is a new economic movement. You definitely see companies going that direction. And it's not just Facebook and Google that own your data. Amazon. Every single company is trying to accumulate as much data on you as they can. What are they going to do with that? China is doing that. China is sitting by just collecting data with a lot of their companies. We don't even know it. You know the Chinese government owns Fortnite and Grindr? I think I, I heard that last week. I did not know that. Uh, just sitting back collecting data as Putin and Trump go at it. <laughs> I recently I recently learned that, that uh, Amazon um, owns all of uh, – they – they own this, the data servers for Netflix. And um, the other thing that they own is like 80% of the Department of Defense uh, data contracts, um, which is wild. Uh, so anyway, uh, so there's all this conversation, right? And, and, and I do think it's a provocative question to say, where does religion fall within that? Because we could go on and on about, you know, the the um, issues we're, we're dealing with today, and those will be a part of the conversation. And where does religion fall? One of the things in the interfaith community, um, one of the ways that they often talk about this is that religion has um, some an influence over the heart that is not going to be found particularly in government or politics. And so that um, as religions work together to address some of these big issues like climate change, um, that, that we have to use the spaces that we have to influence people's hearts towards change and towards love and compassion with each other. And so, I mean, that's one, one of the conversations that's, that's happening yeah, I, I definitely would agree with that. And I think that when you say, you know, moving forward as a society, I mean, that's a very, well, how how bold and arrogant are we? any of us to, to say, well, here's where we're headed in the 21st century. Yeah. Mark my words, in 50 years from now, this is the religion and the religions and the spirituality and the collectives that will be of the utmost importance. I, I don't I don't know because I don't know where I'm going to be in 30 years from now, right? If you would have told Janelle 20 years ago where you would be right now as a religious Five. person— Five years ago, yeah. Um, and I think this is what's interesting about the internet, because we've brought this up, this, this is going to keep coming up, is that it, it's the most fascinating tool. The fact that right now, as you had said, Rob, we have access right here, just in our laps. Everybody has one right now, an Android, an iPhone. And so 
you can you can master every religion under the sun. You don't need a degree anymore. And at the same time, I think we will have the most dumbed down religions as a result. I think maybe oral tradition. I'm gonna I'm gonna maybe I don't know if uh, Mark George, if he were here, he'd argue with me right now. There's something to be said about oral tradition and print culture. That's that technology will never will never give us. And I. Again, here, here. It, it's it's a it's a paradox, right? To where like you have all the information right there, yet at the same time, I don't think it's going to make us any smarter. Well, and I think the one of the memes that's been around recently that rings a little true is for years we've said, "Don't talk about religion and politics," and that's created a world where we don't know how to have those conversations. And because of that, we're in this space where we're not having this conversation, and nobody knows how to have this conversation, and. We've got to get past that. We've got to find a way to redeem that, to ha- even ha- sit down and do what we're doing. Um, I heard in a really, um, I heard this at a mass, uh, um, a discussion about like, and and this also is, uh, it's also being talked about by um, Brene Brown, right? It, who's captured a big swath of pop culture and, I think some people have have memified that, but I think yeah. like she's good for the world. She's she is yeah, and um, you know one of her in her recent speaking to her, like she's talking about like okay, you know I I saw her say you know raise your hand if you have someone who you love in your life who voted for Donald Trump. Like everybody in the room raises their hand, and she's like you know okay now raise your hand if you're willing to give up everything in that relationship based on what happened in the 2016 election. And then maybe like five people raised their hand out of like a thousand people in the room. Um, And one of the discussions I've heard is like, this is a model for a way forward. Like we have, we have people. I'm one of them who has loved ones, people who I'm not willing to sacrifice a relationship with who voted for Donald Trump. And, um, have a much more conservative ideology than I do. Uh, and, and, uh, you know, what are the ways in which I love those people? Cause I love a lot of them dearly. Um, and what are the ways in which we have a discussion and move forward? I think the, nobody knows how to have this talk comment is, is huge. I mean, I don't think we, it's it's not something we discuss. Like, how do you talk with people who you love but you disagree with and or disagree with you? Um, but the point being, those are the models for, like, a path forward. Like, yeah. the model of how do you, how does religion provide a more transcendent peace across difference and across... Um, because I'm going to go to Thanksgiving and I'm, and we'll have a, we'll have a nice time and I'll have some conversations that will be uncomfortable, um, with people I love and they'll be uncomfortable with me. And, but that won't define my, that won't define what I go do at Thanksgiving. And, um, and how is that like a mod? And part of that's like my, what I, you know, what I feel to be my connection to, f- to my faith or to my religion, not in the institutional church sense, but in the 
lived out since. Um, and maybe more my like Quakerism love than my Catholicism love. Um, and, uh, so how is that, how does that serve as a model for moving forward? And I don't know if it can, but I've heard that discussion and I think it's an interesting one. I think the hard part comes and, and I know a lot of people might disagree with this statement, but I think that as we are seeing a rise in fascism in our country with people that we're watching on the news being neglected and tortured and like at what point in a relationship when someone says I fully support what this government is doing where's that line of I'm going to have to walk away from you because you're hurting people like and I I think that's the the part that that's where this gets really sticky is it I mean if we really are ticking off the boxes to fascism like a lot of philosophers are saying that we are when is it going to be our turn to decide like which side of the line we're on and I think that's incredibly tricky that's this is where it gets difficult because you know you don't want to be the kind of person to where you're saying well okay my uncle my aunt whomever it may be supports this person that that upholds these policies that then is toxic like when I say toxic I'm not using that as just like people use toxic I mean like people are dying based on these policies okay based on this person that these individuals support Um, what do you do with that uncle with that aunt do you censor them do you you know so what we do typically this is this is what I I can't stand about social media and I'm sure this has happened to you or maybe you've done this to somebody you've had a family member that's blocked you not just defriended but blocked now this has happened to me um, which I, I kind of laugh, I laugh at now. I was really upset when it happened years ago because I'm like, I only block people that are actually are toxic people that are that I, I feel like are would endanger my family. Therefore, I blocked maybe one or two people my entire life. You know, like, got to get out of here. You know, like you see the knife coming, uh, which, I mean, come on, that rarely happens. Whereas, like, the crazy uncle, the brother, the sister, whomever it may be, you know, that person you go, okay, they, I love them. I want to do Thanksgiving with them. Their blood, or their, or they're they're chosen. They're they're grafted in somehow within this crazy family tree. And I just going to choose not to talk about politics. I'm going to choose to talk about the things that we can value as common ground together. So the thing this is when you have to say, okay, clearly the policies and the candidates, like I I can't, Janelle, you and I, Rob, Brian, we can't talk about that with Aunt Aunt B or whomever. Okay, but what we can do is we can talk about. Hey, how are your kids doing? They're at, oh, they're in college right now. Okay. And then she says, well, how are your kids? They're in grade school. Next thing you know, like you're talking about basic human values, right? So you start with things that I think that you both know you care about. And maybe for a lot of people, it's football. Football season's coming up. That's why I think this is why I love Thanksgiving because my Dallas Cowboys are always playing on Thanksgiving. Gross. <laughs> but it's, it's easy. It's low-hanging fruit. Um, and you can say, well, football – is superficial, sure, but if it's a if it's a bridge, if it's somehow I don't have to talk about this candidate or this policy on immigration, I can because that's never going to go well. At least, at least, like I mean, can you imagine like just sitting there and suddenly like, so what do you guys think about uh, the president's? And right when you say that, like, shit, the wall comes up, man. You mentioned the president's name, 
both sides, just like we are up in arms. Start digging Literally, in, baby. There's a wall. Yeah. No pun intended. Janelle, I, I pun so intended. the what you bring up, I actually had a conversation with fellow Denver Brew theologian Mark Donato about this a couple weeks ago. Good man, by the way. Because I think this is a really difficult question. Um, I think what you surface is like obviously really important and valid. And there's two things. Number one is I come to this conversation with a a whole shitload of privilege, right? Right. That I'm coming to the conversation with. And I have to be aware of that. And um, I try to be conscious of that. Like, I'm I'm very rarely marginalized. And by very rarely, I mean basically never because I'm straight. I'm white. I'm middle class. I'm tall. I'm have a full head of average hair. height. I have a full head of hair. I, like, you name it, right? I, I'm Iowa nice. Can we go on? Yeah. So, um, so that's number one. Number two, so from the frame that I'm coming from, when I'm, I feel like I have a few options with, and number one, that type of privilege. Number two, with the conversation with someone whom I'm disagree with, you know, from a polar standpoint. And, you know, if they're in my family, that's another dynamic. Even if they're not in my family, I ask myself some questions, which is like one of them being like, what am I going to do with my privilege that I have? Uh, number two, you know, what are my options here? I can, you know, I can dig in and, and, and talk about my point or, you know, uh, listen to somebody else painfully discuss why they feel like the, you know, immigration policies are just, um, or try to find a, try to find another way, you know, like where I'm, where I'm asking, you know, say more about that, you know, what. What is it that um, what is it about immigration in this country that really has you personally invested in this right. conversation or personally upset? And like again, I sound like an asshole right now because of how I'm describing this. Like, oh yeah, what can you tr- transcend your emotion and like have that conversation? The answer is no. Um, it's really hard for me. Like, I sit emotionally in that conversation just like everyone else, and so I can sit here and academically talk about it how i think i should have it i can tell you i've not mastered this so like this isn't how i have every conversation sometimes i'm like fuck you (laughs) i'm out out. (laughs) and number two is i actually i actually um truly believe in my heart of hearts if you put me in a dark room and force an interrogation on me that we can't afford me to walk away from the conversation like or I've given up and I'm no longer interested in where religion plays a role in the future of the 21st century like personally I've given up um so I don't know I that's the best way to for, that I can I guess uh express what I'm thinking when you're talking yeah. about that um but I, I like I like your Thanksgiving table and I know I'm gonna I keep hanging there with that analogy because I think that then the the analogy that we have there versus the literal truth that we have about the internet and social media right now is that social media will only continually um, create more and more microcosms of these isolated polarizing island tribes, right? So conservatism is going to get more conservative. 
liberalism is going to get more liberal. And I mean that both politically and spiritually and within the religious world. So you, I mean, and it's already happening, right? I mean, the stuff that goes across your, your Facebook feed, it, it's like it knows, somehow knows what you like and what you want. And so it creates those feeds on your timeline so that it will just keep reaffirming some bias. And uh, that scares the shit out of me. So if we just live in that world, like, I don't, ha- I don't see any hope at all. Now, we go back to the table, and I mean that table in any kind of tables, whether we're talking about the pub table, Thanksgiving table, like, you create your own Community table park. out there, any table, right? You're going to come across people who are going to be on Facebook that you would probably block, and you would say, you know, oh, get out of here, F you. And you. You see these threads online. Nobody talks that way in public, and if they do, I... Yeah, they have issues. Like, come on. I mean, really? No one's going to say that at the park, right? When you're throwing your Frisbee with a dog and your kids are swinging on the swings and stuff like that. So I think you got to find the tables. I think it's interesting the way we're having this conversation. You know, it's very liberally, right? We're having this conversation thinking our voice really matters, that people have choice. But the whole idea behind these elections being hacked was, was again, not that these election results were hacked but they were psychologically manipulating people through social media, Ryan, right? Through social media to try and get them to pull certain levers in the voting booth. And, and that's, and, and so you're right. People will become more extreme because they're seeing misinformation and they're believing it because we now know better than ever how to manipulate the human brain. And, and in fairness, it's on both sides. I mean, it's on the right and it's on the left that people are believing one-liners. They're believing memes. They're believing things that just aren't true. You know, 30-second YouTube videos. And, and that's, that's a problem. I mean, th- this whole idea that liberalism is based on is that individual humans have individual choices. What if those individual choices can be extremely manipulated without you even realizing that? Well, and one of those came up this week... Um a mom posted a Twitter feed, and then now it's getting more discussion on watching um, especially white teenage boys be influenced online, um, that what she's seeing is that they, um, what they experience is they start to be inundated with memes that are subtly racist, sexist, homophobic, anti-Semitic, and they don't see the nuance in that, and so they repeat it and they share it. And then people discipline them which makes them feel shame and disgust about that. And the next step is that they are going, then they're approached in groups about people are too sensitive. And so they get that as their response. um, And this allows them to shed the, the shame and replace it with anger. And then from there, whenever people call them out, they're, they're angry and you're just a snowflake and this is ridiculous and it sets them up into this place where they no longer can have the conversation. They've already been influenced to the point that they can't get outside of that box. And I've seen, I've seen this personally happen to kids. And um, I'm, that was five or six, eight years ago. So it's way worse now. But I think that that's like that right there. Just you, you if you're... If you've got people looking for this, they can also try to influence that. And then you add the computers in there giving you... So YouTube, this isn't a secret. Like you watch something slightly conservative. The next thing it recommends is more conservative. The next thing it recommends is basically white supremacist, um, 
racist and it just gets worse and you can watch thousands of videos on these themes and it'll just keep feeding them to you and it gets harder and harder to tell something that's true real based in fact from something that's just pure lies and manipulation you know it used to be that in order to keep control of their people governments would censor information constantly right they would ban books and they would china still does it right they ban certain web pages and whatnot Governments don't have to do that anymore because we are so overwhelmed with information and inundated with information that it is so hard to separate fact from fiction and truth to reality. And when you Google something, the the top results that you get aren't the best answers to your question. Nope. They're generally the most popular. Or most paid for. Or most paid for. And right. so see there's a real problem in finding up good information. Any, sorry. <laughs> Point proven. Keep going. Sorry. I was just making a bad joke. <laughs> so that makes our job even harder. I mean, how do you how do you have conversations with people who are believing lies or being manipulated? How do you know you're not being manipulated or that the article that you just read that popped up on your social media feed that's got you all fired up is from now. This is my pet peeve. Like so many times those articles and there are cer- certain pages I follow that tend to do this more than others. It could be from three years ago. It could be from four years ago. So it's it sounds like it's from today, but it's actually outdated and oh, already man. happened. And that doesn't mean that it's not real, but I don't need more outrage from then, and I don't need you representing that as current. I want to know what's going on now and what's actually happening. And so I think yeah. just even that little bit of, like, checking dates when and if in doubt, if you feel any, like, weirdness at all like is this a real newspaper or a real website because you know the chicago chronicle sounds really real it's not a real thing and so like those little things are the things that can easily slip past us in the middle of it isn't like wikipedia now like the most one of the more reputable places you can find information and we were well at least i was told in school like wikipedia is full of crap like careful using that and like you know, yeah, I mean, but that's actually just, false, like a falsehood. Now it's as accurate as the Ox- Oxford Encyclopedia, and then the way that they've done their monitoring of it and the editing, right? Like even a, like a, a scientist who just found out new findings, but they weren't published yet, couldn't update Wikipedia because he didn't have a reference. Yeah, like it's actually a very good system, and so and basically the rest of the internet is, is crap. <laughs> So yeah, and and I know, like you know, Janelle, what you said, just kind of piggybacking off of that, and then we'll, I know, we'll probably go into other conversations tonight. Brian, you'd mentioned this earlier. It's not just conservatives; it's liberals. I see my liberal friends, and I don't want to call you out right now if you're listening, but you know who you are, and they post things, and I'll look at, it and I go, man, this is from three, five years ago. So it's check, yeah, check your check your sources. It is sort of embarrassing when you're about to reshare something. You go, wait, maybe I should look to see when this. Check my source. <laughs> yeah. Right. And what kind of information it is. Sorry, Brian, go ahead. No, sometimes you see someone post uh, an article and you read the headline and you're like, whoa, hang on. And you click on it and you're like, that headline is so misleading. It's so misleading. I mean, once you click on that, did, any, did they actually read this before they posted it? You find that as well. I mean, people yeah. get worked up by, by a headline. We, tr- we trust headlines as our, as our news. Yeah. Right. Nobody goes to the library anymore. Well, it's at the library right here. I mean, you talked about 30 second blips, right? I mean, so I'm a recently, you know, I recently uh, 
left education, right? And um, I still am like, I'm a bleeding heart educator at heart, right? And uh, and it's I do I think it's a provocative question and an interesting question. It's probably boring to a lot of people, but like, what role will you know, will we have a snapback to nuance at some point? Like we, you know, where was the time that we had nuance? Had nuance? Yeah, probably. You want to make nuance great again? <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's what I was gonna say. Is like, this is maybe where I feel like old man yelling at Claude's from The Simpsons. Like we probably have, we probably have never had nuance. It seems to be like, it seems to be thrown in our face an all time low right now. It's probably not at an all time low, uh, but like nuanced information matters taking more than 15 to 30 seconds to make a point or discuss an issue um is important and uh we don't have a lot of venues for that maybe that's maybe that's what i'm thinking right now as we're as we're talking about this bite-sized internet information but we you know one of our venues for that is brew theology we go talk about stuff for like a couple hours and then we remix it the next week people are like wait a minute you talk about a topic for two hours and mm-hmm. then you go talk about it again for another two hours. I'm like, Oh my God. Yes. We spend four hours on interesting big questions. You can't, you can't copy questions. and paste the same conversation. Yeah. when it's actually in community. Yeah. Uh, uh, well, I guess you could, but it's hard. So I, I'm, I'm so on board with your oral tradition or your, uh, you know, you know, communication with other human beings discussion earlier too. And, in in you know part of the question is where are the spaces and places for that kind of interaction and conversation. One of them still is institutional church. Yeah. Uh, so, but so speaking of church and then just oral tra- tradition, which is something that we moving backward in history, and that's the question that you ask, can, Brian. Can we move backward both in these um, kind of systems of humanism or religious systems that some people have think have died? Can we move back? Should we move back in order to move forward? Is there any hope looking back? Well, that's always our frame of reference, right? I mean, even good artists steal from other good artists. They're inspired by others. So our frame of reference is what's already happened, right? So you look at someone like Bernie Sanders, right? Is he really a socialist? No. Yeah, not in the sense that socialists were in the late 19th century, the early 20th centuries. All he really wants is a little bit more taxes to to pay for a handful of things that he believes all Americans should have access to. Specifically, a Wall Street speculation tax. So let's be clear about that one. Yeah, exactly. You know, I mean, yeah. he, he's got it. Which pretty... Wall Street people are now tuning us out as yeah. if they were ever listening. <laughs> so, so our definitions are are always sort of evolving and changing. But do the old ways solve the problems that we currently have now? Not necessarily the ones we're going to face in the future, but but do they solve the problems we're going to solve we're, we have right now? Um, and I don't know that they do. Automation, I think, is one of the biggest ones. What do we do when people don't have jobs anymore? Well, it's it's already happening. It's happening um, because it's happening. Uh, Friedman, um, the world is flat. Thomas Friedman? Yeah, his argument in there, if I remember correctly, I could be wrong, but was something about we were going to see hordes of young adults in their parents' basements because there weren't enough jobs for all of them. And we all kind of laughed at right. it and were like, whatever. Like, this isn't going to happen. 
and now we have hordes of young adults in their parents' basement because there aren't enough jobs for them. And the world is flattening out as we're pulling contractors from around the globe into the U.S. to do jobs here that they can't do somewhere else. Um, I mean, it's, it, it's happening. And so what is, then what are the next predictions with automation? Like, if you get rid of those jobs, how are people going to pay to live? What? So I know it's a start. There's a presidential candidate right now. Yang, Yang 2020. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. Well, Brian, you're more into him. I just I've heard him. I heard him on the on the Rogan podcast. That's how I actually. Right. It was Josh Josh Hogue who's been on the show before, and he's like, "Oh, you got to listen to Yang." So I was like, "Oh, who's this Yang guy?" Always one of the candidates running. I go, "I can't. I don't, I don't even know like half of them that are running right now." So Brian, tell tell us about what he's implementing. That's like a start. Based well, his, on his big idea is, is universal basic income. Um, that as every essentially every month. There would be there would be a tax on automation. Companies that automate jobs would pay a tax. That money would be funded through the federal government to give thousand dollars to every person every month. And you know he really focuses now. I think one of the big groups that he's looking at is truck drivers. That within ten years, there will be no truck drivers. All trucks will be automated. And in his mind, that that that. I won't put words in his mouth, but that could be a good thing because truck drivers lead seemingly very unhealthy lives, very sedentary lives. You know, they don't eat very healthy. Oh, yeah. They don't, they make a lot of money, but that's going to go away. And so he says, so what do we do with all these truck drivers that literally work to keep our economy alive right now? What do we do with them all? Right. We've already lost all the factory jobs, especially in, in small rural towns. What happens to people when they don't have any importance to the liberal economy anymore when they don't have any significance when there are no jobs for them to get or the only jobs they can get are paying the minimum wage and they can't even pay their bills that's a that's a huge yeah. problem going forward and i think from what i what i recall the conversation that he had on the on that podcast uh with with joe rogan was that he's like it's not like you know they're going to go in, in and learn coding like they're not like Janelle's husband, and they're not like super smart and work for Google. Like that's not going to happen. Like, and not that they can't do it, but it's just like it's they're in their forties and fifties, and like that's just not on their radar. I mean, they're not going to reeducation programmings aren't set up, or uh, re reeducation programs aren't set up at this point for people like that e either. I mean, and they don't work. They they really don't um, because by the time someone is actually trained, whether it's on computer programming. Uh, this was a big thing in the 90s under the Clinton administration was all the jobs we're going to lose to NAFTA. We're going to put a lot of money into job retraining and they're going to be um, software designers. Well, by the time they were trained to be able to do that, the jobs were already outsourced to India. Yep. Right. So, I mean, the, the economy moves so fast that by the time job retraining actually could take effect, those jobs are already gone anyway. And to be honest, at 40 or 50 you're not going to be jumping into Silicon Valley. You're already too old to get started. Like not Fair. not being ageist, but just just like energy levels, brain power levels, what you're willing to live with in life. Those things have changed by the time you've got a few decades under your belt. And sure. even if you're a coding genius, that doesn't mean that you're going to enjoy doing what has to be done to live that life. 100%. So it's super complicated. 
Yeah, so that definitely is a big one. I'm moving forward. It's daunting. And, uh, I mean, Yang's got one proposal, but, like, okay, so then what then? You know, after you get your 1000 bucks, so that's how long is that going to last you? Won't, won't last your average American very long at all, I'll tell you that. Well, I see Yang as a as sort of a Ross Perot. Do you guys remember Ross Perot yeah. from yep. the early 90s? He was this rich guy from Texas. He funded his own campaign. R.I.P. Uh, George H.W. Bush blames him for the loss because so many Republicans were siphoned. Uh, Dude, it happened allowed for Clinton sure. To win. Yeah, Especially for sure. Texas. But what was his big issue? Balancing the budget. Nobody ever talked about that before Ross Perot. Nobody. Now he brought it up to everybody. Uh, for the whole 90s and early 2000s, you couldn't run for president without saying you were going to balance the budget. It, it, it was a huge thing. And I see Yang sort of in that, in that vein that he's bringing up universal basic income you know, UBI. And, and I think this is something that's probably going to be adopted by folks like Sanders, folks like Warren, folks like AOC on the left. And there's even support on the right for universal basic income as well. Um, and, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but he's not saying we're going to tax people more in order to get this. No, you're going to, from what I understand, his plan is to tax the companies that are automating Yes. Yeah, so, so, but most people, when they think of any sort of like free, what they call handouts out there, right? The right's always talking about handouts. Like they assume it's going to come out of their wallet and their paycheck, and you know what I'm saying. So, yeah, no, for what I understand, be, it's that's not the case. No, he's not going to raise the personal income tax, right? right. Which is so. Did y'all hear that? Yeah, just because yeah. it sounds liberal doesn't mean it's going to. He's going to take yeah. the money out of the people that aren't being taxed right now, anyway. Right. Essentially, out of the corporations right. and and redistribute that to everyone, Democrat and Republican. And that I from what I understand, don't use the term redistribute because you're okay. going to lose a lot of people. Okay, there. Never mind. <laughs> That's um, got a lot of bad share, connotations. Yeah. Share. Um, <laughs> well, the word universal it already sounds too liberal for a lot of people. Well, but it, but it <laughs> I don't but I don't understand that. Like we're saying everybody. No exception. I, That's a thousand dollars. I also a month. know the word "liberal" is a pretty good word too, but it's you know, yeah, it becomes an ugly word once it's surrounded by a certain figure. And you Yang can, caught a lot of like mainstream attention after debate number two, I think. And um, he's the, still in. And the other thing too is that you're right. I have conservative friends who have said to me, "quote," who've said to me, "quote," I. Uh, Yang's the only Democrat who's got ideas interesting enough to discuss. And that's interesting that peop- that I that I have conservative friends saying that. I'm not saying my conservative friends are a good sample by the way across all all conservatives. However, like Yang seems to be this kind of wild card guy who is not going to win the Democratic nomination, never say never, but likely not going to win the Democratic nomination. But it's going to change shit um, in terms of how people discuss it. He'll change the conversation for sure. And, and he will get a few people to probably adopt that as a, as a, on, the, on the policy platform. When would that potentially be implemented in the United States? I think we're a long way from that. But to get back to your point, Ryan, well, okay, so what does $1,000 do? I mean, people blow through $1,000. But what $1,000 does and what UBI could do is supplement somebody's income. A lot of the only jobs that are available right now, say, are are maybe part-time jobs for somebody in, in a certain field. So people who take jobs that they hate, that they don't want, only to get health care, they won't necessarily have to do that anymore, right? 
they, they could take a part-time job and actually live off that because their income is being supplemented by. So his idea is also that people will be more productive as well because they'll be able to, he sees it as helping small businesses a lot as well. Small businesses who might not be able to hire a bunch of full-time people, but part-time workers where they're, their salary could effectively be supplemented by the federal government. Yeah, and that money's going to be going back into the economy and circulating throughout the great cities of Denver and wherever you are in central Jersey. i got to give some love to Florida, too. If we could tie some universal health care in there, then you're changing the game for so many people. If we had health care provided and a UBI, like now, that, that just changes the life for so many people. Well, who's going to pay for that? you got to put a tax on Wall Street. Okay? Wall Street, the bunch of crooks. you got to stop. That a good, was that a good burning? No. Not quite. No, okay, I tried. <laughs> it wasn't great. It wasn't, it wasn't great. great. So, okay, but we yeah, all knew who yeah, you yeah, were. That's I a start. appreciate that. But so that's, that's always the question when you talk to any of your friends who are like, who's going to pay for it, right? Because the government can't pay for all this. And so that's, that's always the question. But the corporations aren't paying any taxes right now. They're, they're paying nothing. So, like, I think starting there is a good way to start the conversation. All right. So if you were a CEO of a large corporation, I don't know, maybe Apple, Amazon, uh, can we keep going? No, probably shouldn't. Have some fucking compassion on the rest of the world. <laughs> so, so, okay. Sorry, Brian. I... I really wish my libertarian friends were here right now, because I know they're they're idealists, right? Anarchy, anarchy, yeah. anarchy um, will solve the problem. I think libertarianism has some positives to it, but only I feel like it could only really work well if you start over and everybody truly has equality of opportunity, and you really had a meritocracy. Now, anyone who would make the argument that the United States today is a meritocracy yeah. is crazy. I mean, it, it, yeah. it's crazy. The, 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 biggest, the biggest head start in the world is, is inheritance. And that's the biggest free ride in the world. Inherited wealth is, is in many ways a joke, which is why you see the wealth discrepancy racially and socially that you see in this country because of certain groups over generations have been able to inherit wealth. Now... When you talk about people complain about socialists because they're going to get a free ride, I mean, is there a bigger free ride than inheriting wealth that you did nothing to earn? And that's always something that really fascinates me about about this this whole argument. Oh yeah, that, and that that one is tough as well because you'll have people, and fa- you know, it's about legacy and families and passing down what you've you know given your kids uh, an opportunity. But it ends up being about my kids, and we never think about interdependence and uh, relational relationality. That's that's like global. Well, actually, let's not even get global. Local, right? You know, you can't get even past your own your own family. And as somebody with kids, like I'll be honest, like I, I, th- I will think of them first. I will think of what I can give them, both financially and also just my values, before I will think about anybody else.